Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Bradley, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today we are continuing our deep dive into the hit Netflix series Bridgerton and discussing the very up and very down episode, the sixth episode rather, of season one entitled Swish, which, for all of you episode title heads out there, is a terrible episode title. It's awful. I've pointed out the last five as amazing. So I feel obligated to point out that this one is awful. I can't think of a good reason to title this episode Swish. Other, like Marina does a swish, I guess, with her dress. Is that it? I can't even think of a theme. I, I don't even know what swish means in terms of a theme or in terms of our characters. I have no idea. Not that it matters. I don't consider the episode title in any of the scoring or how I discuss it. But just for transparency, the other five were great. And I've already called that out. So when one is bad, I'm going to call it out. This episode title sucks. Let's move on. Let's Dive Deep normally contains adult content. In this episode specifically, it will have loads of adult content. If you think the other episodes have loads of adult content, this has an astronomical amount of adult content. 95% of this episode is two of our characters just having sex everywhere all the time, so that's the first thing. The second thing is lots of that sex is overlaid to a Regency era cover of a Taylor Swift song, which is the most amazing thing I've ever seen on television, but also even more adulty the more you think about it. So, if you do not want to talk about any of that stuff, now's a great time to tune out of the podcast. I guess you're not really talking about it. You're kind of listening to me talk about it, which weirds me out a little bit, because what do I know? But anyways, if you don't want to listen about to me talk about that, then now's a good time to tune out. Also, this is the one episode. So far, I know there's two left, but... I normally say, hey, if you're listening to this around kids, I don't recommend it, but do whatever you're going to do is what you're going to do. In this episode, do not listen to this around kids, please, pretty please. I'm going to record this assuming that exactly zero children will ever listen to this, and that's, that's, uh, that's all of our responsibilities, okay? This episode contains adult content. As per usual, we will not be spoiling anything that happens past this episode. I couldn't if I wanted to, but just in case you were unsure what kind of podcast this is, I am recording these as I watch the show. So, I do not know what happens in episode 7 and 8. I think the editing in this video gives a few things away in this video, in this episode, gives a few things away, and we're going to talk about that. But I don't actually know what happens in episode 7 and 8, so I can't spoil anything. So no matter where you are on your Bridgerton journey, whether you are doing this episode by episode and you're listening to the podcast, you're good to go. If you've watched the whole thing and you're coming back to it afterwards, you're good to go. You'll just know what happens, and I don't, and that's cool. But I will not be spoiling anything if you are worried about that kind of thing. And lastly... A difference for this episode is... I'm going to put a trigger warning up front here. There is a scene in this episode that played in 2021 would definitely be um, construed or interpreted or... Like, I would consider it as um, sexual assault or rape um, or just whatever other term you want to apply to it. And I just want to make sure that if this is something that's going to trigger you or something that you don't want to listen to me talk about, or something you don't really want to dive deep into, just know that I will be dealing with it at the end of the episode. So, you can listen to this whole show, and then at the very end, that'll be the last scene I discuss. And that way you can listen to the whole thing, and we won't talk about it at all, zero zilch nada. But, at the end, we will be talking about it. It's part of the episode, right? It's, it's part of the show, and we're diving deep into the show. I'm not afraid to talk about the hard topics, to watch the hard scenes. That's, that's part of doing a podcast and watching a TV show. The creators definitely weren't afraid to make that scene. So we're going to talk about it as if it's just part of the show and, and talk about it in a way 
that that does it justice, I hope. And I'm going to try and be as sensitive as possible as I can while we discuss it. But just know that it will be discussed. I'm not going to ignore it or avoid it or pretend it doesn't exist. We will be talking about it. And I will give you a big warning at the end of the episode. So it will not be mentioned at all until the very end. And then we'll talk about it all at the very end. So I don't know how long to make this warning. I don't know how different people feel about different things. And I just want to make you make sure you are comfortable when you're listening to this podcast. So there's a scene that's sexual assault in the show. And if that's something you want to listen to me talk about or something you had a hard time watching when you watched the show, then I will give you a warning when I talk about it so you can tune out. All right, and finally, before we get going, there is a Twitter account. If you would like to interact with me on Twitter, feel free to do that. I have a personal account and a, like, Let's Dive Deep podcast account. You can follow my personal Twitter if you want. Uh, if you want to see me tweet about things that I think, I don't know, whatever you got to do. But the Let's Dive Deep Twitter account is the one where I talk about the podcast the most. It's also the one where, after Bridgerton is done, I will be letting you guys know which shows we will be tackling next. There's going to be a new feed coming out where we talk about movies, and then all the movies will be in the same feed. But each show will have a different feed, and I'm not going to pop into the Bridgerton feed and talk about another show. So if you want to know what show is coming next after Bridgerton, then you got to follow on Twitter. So Twitter is at Let's Dive Deep. You can find me there. Link is also in the description of this podcast, wherever you're listening to. I also have a Gmail account account let's dive deep pod at gmail.com feel free to email me what you thought about the episode anything you'd like me to talk about um if i say something dumb and you're like hey that's not correct email me that whatever you want to email me i I check my emails every couple of days it's a good time i'd love to talk with you about or talk to you about bridgerton so that's there and last thing i promise before we get started just wherever you're watching it if you're having a good time you're sitting there you got a cocktail in your hand you're kicking back you're like yo i'm gonna listen to some 25 year old canadian dude tell me about woman things because he knows a lot about woman things if you're into that kind of stuff if that's what you're here for then uh, go and leave a review somewhere you know five stars is great that's what i'd prefer even if you hate it go five stars i hated it so much but this guy told me i had to put five stars in the review and i listened to him because he's canadian he's a nice guy i'm gonna use my canadian card i'm I, i am friends with everyone And even if you hate the podcast, leaving a five-star review means a lot, just wherever you are. As mentioned earlier, this is the sixth episode of season one entitled Swish. It could have been titled a million other things, but they went with Swish. So we're going to go with Swish, although I'd rather have just made up a title. It was written by Sarah Dollard and directed by Julie Ann Robinson. And for a score, ladies and gentlemen, this is my first eight episode of Bridgerton. I'm giving this an 8.1. I was shocked when I went to IMDb to find out the written by and directed by information. And this was most people's second, it was the second least reviewed episode of the season. It had the, it was the premiere was the worst one, I think. And this was the second worst in terms of an average rating, which really stunned me. I I guess I understand it, but I'm going to make my case. Look, everyone watches the show and everyone has their own score. I'm not here to tell you it's better than the other episodes. That's what my opinion is. And I'm going to talk about why I think that, but this is definitely better than all the other episodes. There's a few things that still bug me, but like, this is awesome. This is a good episode of television. It's better than all the other episodes of this show. It's an 8.1. I'm just so excited. This is the first time on this podcast I'm giving something an eight. I was, I was, I was wondering, like, would I give an episode of Bridgerton an eight? This is it. This is my first one. Eight point one, better than an eight. 
I'm just, I'm pumped. I'm stoked, everyone. 8.1, if you did not like this episode of Bridgerton, I am determined to make you at least see why I loved it. Loved it? Like I tried to say like and loved. I'm going to reserve loved for like nine. I'm going to reserve lo- I loved it at like nine. I, 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 this is better than all the other episodes, and I think it's a great episode of television. 8.1 out of 10. What worked for me? Let's talk about it. First, and most obviously, the Taylor Swift sex montage. That might have been the best thing I've ever seen on television. That was hilarious and funny and charming, and I'm going to save my deep dive into it for when it happens in the in the plot, but everything about the Taylor Swift Regency cover of Wildest Dreams, everything about the montage, just, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing, and then you put Taylor Swift on it, and I think Taylor Swift is amazing. Um, so just the whole... That whole thing, brilliant, genius, amazing, from the directing to the, I was going to say the writing, but there's not a whole lot of words. You do still have to write the scene, but to the to, to the choreography, to the cinematography, to the Taylor Swift song choice, to all of it, it was amazing, it was incredible, it worked, it worked more than anything else has worked for me in this show. If it was just like, hey, out of 10, Taylor Swift sex scene montage thing, I keep saying that as if Taylor Swift's in this scene, I should stop phrasing it like that. But whatever. It's like a 9.5 scene. Like, as a montage, like, it's hard to make, like, sex montages really hit. And that one hit. And you know what? I liked it. One of the things I really liked, and I'm trying not to get ahead of the last scene we're going to talk about, because I don't want to talk about it until then. One of the things I enjoyed was the, the whole premise of the episode is that all of our characters have consequences for their actions. Every single character makes choices leading up to this episode and in this episode. And every single one has the hammer of consequence come down on their choices. Nothing is more unsatisfying than when characters in shows or books do stupid things and make bad choices and face no consequences. That is the worst. It's terrible writing. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I cannot stand it. But in this episode, Characters have consequences for their actions. Now, we are going to have a discussion about whether the end... And that's another thing, is the show tells you, Lady Whistledown at the end says, do the ends justify the means? So much of this episode happens in the gray. Put me in the gray. Don't give me black and white characters who are making black and white choices. Give me the gray, man. People are complicated, People make stupid choices. You've made dumb choices. I've made dumb choices. We've all done stupid things. And we've all faced consequences for our actions. Put me in there. Make me feel that. And I felt... This is why this is the best episode of the season. Right? You just get sucked in. And when the characters are happy, you feel amazing. And when the characters are doing terrible, you feel awful. Like, you leave this episode feeling terrible. And it's great because that's how you're meant to feel. Right? I think that the fact that they just put you in the gray and just make you sit there for every single character, right? Like you have, everything is a confrontation too. You have to decide, was Daphne right? Was the Duke right? Why were they right? When were they right? What about Colin and Marina and um, Colin and Marina and Penelope? When are they right? When are they going too far? When do their ends justify their means anthony and colin that scene which one of like you have to sit there and you just have to 
just be in the conflict and i love that that's the that's the sign of a good tv show to me is if i'm if you put me in the gray and make me think about it and i have a tough time and i care like that's it's evocative this show put me in it this episode and i have so many thoughts about all the characters and all their choices and it's just incredible storytelling when you can just sit in the gray and it, i i loved it put me in the gray Give me the quote, do the ends justify the means as like a theme for the whole episode. And I will sit here. I'll make a podcast about it. Would you believe that? I'm making a podcast about it. That's how much I liked it. As a quick additional what worked for me, I just want to point out, just again, like the episode title, I've dumped on Anthony for five episodes. This was the first episode where he was good the whole episode. Is he amazing? No. Do I really care that much about him? Not really. But... This was the first episode where not one single time he was a dink. He he just wasn't. This whole episode, not one time in my notes did I put, get out of here, Anthony. Now, you know what? (laughs) I'm recording this after. Maybe I did. I'm (laughs) recording. Okay, you know what? I'll take that back. There might be a time where I put that in my notes, but I didn't feel that way recording this. So overall, Anthony's best episode. And since I've been dumping on Anthony the whole time, I feel obligated to tell you that this was his, this at least his best episode, and I don't think I put down that he was a dink, but I might have. We'll see. Now, what didn't work for me? Uh, I'm coming out of the gate here with a hot take. Or it's a very, it's not a hot take at all. Everyone from 2021 is going to agree with me. Is there no foreplay in Regency era England? Now, I get for a TV show, you can't really film a sex scene for a lengthy amount of time. But this just sucks for everyone. Why is everyone in such a hurry? Right? Why does every intimate moment need to be so fast? Just just enjoy it. What? Like every single scene, I was like, oh, they're going fast? Take your time. There's so much. Like, Daphne, this is your sexual awakening. Take your time. Explore a little. What are you doing? It's too quick. It's too quick. People are not kind enough to each other. Uh in the intimate moments in this world. Not, and it's not just Daphne, it's literally everyone. Every I'm just noticing it this episode, but I, like, I think it's just a product of TV, but I wouldn't be surprised if it just didn't, wasn't really a thing in Regency era. It's just, there's more to it. That's all I'm saying, there's just more to it. I've watched this episode, there's just more. There's more there. There's more there. Come on, everyone. You've got this, do, do better. Now, one of the things that actually didn't work for me uh, was that Marina's writing is just off. I've come to the I've come to the conclusion that I like Marina's story. I'm conflicted. Part of the most like evocative moments for me in this episode were with Marina and the and the conflicts she is facing and the choices she has to make. But the way she's written, it's like every episode's a different writer, so it's not one writer's fault, but just her whole story. It isn't a bad story. It's written poorly. And I just can't get as into it as the other storylines, which is odd because I have the most thoughts, or not the most thoughts, but I have a lot of thoughts about her storyline. It's something I should be really into. And there's just something in her writing. There's a few moments, like when she's just dunking on Penelope for no reason, I was like, this is not, this isn't the Marina that has spoken for the whole show, would not say this, would not say these words in this order, in this way, to this person. Like, it it just doesn't... Marina is written scene by scene, and not cohesively throughout the episodes. So I, I feel like when they write Marina, 
They just start with the scene and end with the scene, and they don't think about how her writing in that scene is compared to the writing in her other scenes. And I get that that's not true, obviously. There's a whole writer's room, and of course they didn't do that, but that's how it feels. As a spectator of this show, who's just watching it like everyone else, who didn't have a part in making it, that's how it feels. Like, they might, they write, like, this is what Marina needs to say in this scene, but don't really consider, like, oh, that doesn't really make sense considering what she says and does in the other scenes. And it's just a bit disjointed for me. Not terrible, though. This is an 8.1. I didn't hate the Marina stuff. Just... It's not a 10, and anytime it's not a 10, there's something that didn't click for me, and this is definitely it in this episode. There was also a few cheeky moments with the green screen. Just a few cheeky moments with the green screen. You know, we finally get to the, the Duke's house, his big castle or whatever it's called. I think it's just a castle. But there's, there's a few shots of the green screen that I noticed only on the second viewing. Only on the second viewing. The first viewing, didn't notice at all. Second viewing, when I'm, like, watching to take notes, I could definitely tell that... There was some green screen going on, and I haven't noticed it all show, and I've watched every episode twice. So I'm just pointing it out. Wasn't distracting, but I'm a, har- I'm a harsh critic. So I could see that there was some green screen usage, and that's not something you want to see. All right, we are finally ready to dive into the plot of this episode. So kick back, relax, grab yourself a beverage. An adult beverage to match the adult content in this episode will be like five shots of tequila. So go grab that. And then listen to this. You'll enjoy it. So kick back, relax, grab yourself a beverage, and let's dive deep into episode six of Bridgerton. All is fair in love and war, but some battles leave no victor. Only a trail of broken hearts that makes us wonder if the price we pay is ever worth the fight. The ones we love have the power to inflict the greatest scars. For what thing is more fragile than the human heart? But I ask you, can the ends ever justify such wretched means? We open with Lady Whistledown talking about how fun honeymoons are. The Duke and Daphne are in a carriage, and you know immediately how this episode is going to go. They do, like, a little kiss in the carriage, but that the way it's shot and the way they kiss and everything, you're like, oh, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna do a lot of this kind of stuff in this episode. Which, you know, it's good to have the warning. It's like a shot across the bow. This episode tells you right away there's going to be a lot of sexual energy between our characters and you're just gonna have to deal with that if you want to enjoy this episode which is totally fine i enjoyed this episode i think it's the best one so far but that warning shot at the beginning nice to have when they arrived i was struck at how (laughs) the line of people i've seen this in a few shows now and i was like really do does everyone have to draw like someone's cooking food does someone have to like leave the stove on and come out and just stand there and watch the duke walk up the stair like this is ridiculous this is ridiculous This is a ridiculous custom. We find out, this is shocking, the Duke actually is a job. You can't just leave. We're going to talk about this a lot this episode. There are people that rely on the Duke. So Miss Coulson, I guess, has been running the show while he's been gone. We meet Miss Coulson, and immediately when they arrive, immediately, Miss Coulson's there trying to get the Duke to like, hey, you've been away a while. You have a job to do. And the Duke is like, I'm going to go have sex with my wife. And it's so disrespectful. They basically ignore her. Miss Coulson's just doing her best. But again, it lets you know immediately 
how this episode is going to go. And I felt bad for Miss Coulson. We end up in our 575,000th garden of the, of the Bridgerton run. I'm not getting tired of the gardens. That's just how many gardens I approximately we've been in. This time there's lots of people, though, and no one getting punched in the face or doing doing sexy stuff. So this is this is a this is not an adult content garden like most gardens in this show are. Hyacinth is there and she, she's just Hyacinth and Eloise one note. One note for this episode. Eloise has been a little one note for a while, but Hyacinth is like I wonder what Daphne's doing right now. She's with a duke. I want to be with a duke. Like she's just all in. She's like a little Daphne and I love that. Eloise is talking about Eloise things she hates that she's she can't do whatever she wants and yada yada. Uh, I'm not trying to yada yada over it because I don't agree with her or because it's not important, but this is like the 95th time that Eloise just has a one-liner about hating her situation. So we get it. Moving on. I still can't believe the queen needs Eloise to look and find Lady Whistledown. I talked about this last episode, so I won't talk about it again. And also they slide it in. Now that I've watched the whole episode, I take these notes as I watch it. They never bring it up again. So Eloise just mentions she's still on a mission. You'd think that being on a mission for the queen would be a little more of a respectable endeavor. Like, everyone's just like, yeah, okay, shut up, Eloise. Like, I don't know. The whole thing, they put it in here to remind you, but then they never talk about it again. So I don't know if it's coming up next episode. I don't know if Eloise is still on this mission. Like, does this come back? It was weird that they just put this one-liner in there, but Eloise is being Eloise. Colin decides now is the perfect time to announce his engagement to Marina. To no one's surprise, all of the Bridgertons freak the fuck out and hate everything about it. Anthony's face is amazing. Just completely like, yo, did you know about this? Lady Bridgerton's trying to be like, people are watching, you idiot. Like, <laughs> I made it. No. Okay, we're not dunking on Anthony this episode. We're trying not to dunk on Anthony this episode. This is his best episode. But <laughs> Miss Bridgerton's like just as equally shocked, but at least is competent enough to not ruin the whole vibe of the garden. Right, Anthony's just all in on ruining the vibe of the garden, but that's fine. He doesn't know about it. She doesn't know about it. Colin, who is my favorite character in this show, is just out there doing his thing. He loves a woman. He's going to marry that woman. I don't care what you think. I like this for Colin. And he's, you know what? And he's announcing it to everyone. So the, even if the Bridgertons hate it, everyone knows now. You know Lady Whistledown's going to know. Everyone knows. Smart, Colin. Smart. Tell everyone in a big group situation where like 58 other people hear you. So no matter how much your family hates it, it's just gospel now. Once Lady Whistledown writes it, it exists. So I think Colin was smart to do this in a garden full of people. All right. I did say that we weren't dunking on Anthony this episode. I'm going to break my rule however many minutes in here because... <laughs> Anthony decides he's got to scold Colin about this whole Marina thing. And the whole time I just put in my notes, Anthony, shut the fuck up. You're fucking the opera singer. That's how I feel about this. Like, Anthony, why do you get to run around and tell Colin? Like, Daphne is one thing. As much as I think it's stupid, and I think Daphne and Eloise have the right of it, although for different reasons. Like, they need to have um, agency over their lives. I understand that within the time period... Like, Anthony would be in charge of Daphne's marriage. I get that. But what is he doing with Colin? Who cares, Anthony? Ant you're, you are so committed to not doing any of the things you are meant to do as the man of the house. And the things you are meant to be doing that you're trying to do, you suck at. So, 
Leave Colin alone. You're not in charge of his... Colin even says that. Like, yo, bro, what what are you doing? You're not in charge of my marriage. Why are you upset about... Like, I don't know exactly what Colin says, but Colin's like, yo, shut up. You're doing your thing. You're being dumb too. Like, you don't get to tell me. And then he says, I'm older than Daphne. And Anthony's like, that doesn't make a difference. Like, uh, Anthony, it does a little bit. It does a little bit. Right, I don't know what the A I don't even know how old these characters are meant to be. That's a pretty big flaw of the show that I'm just looking over. I have no idea how old Colin is or how old Daphne is, other than one's older than the other. But when um when Colin says you've disappointed me in more ways than one, I just put like fuck yeah, Colin in all capital letters. So that, that's what I think about that scene. We head quickly back to Daphne and the Duke. And they're just walking in, like, the main corridor of their castle. And they just start making out, because, of course, they do. And I put in my notes, I love how committed to not doing his job the Duke is. Lady Coulson, I think, is in this scene trying to tell him a bunch of things. Or someone is in this scene trying to get the Duke to, I don't know, do his job as the Duke. Which is a job he has to do. Which we did not know until now. (laughs) And he's just not doing it. So... Same old, same old with the Duke. He's just focused on one thing and one thing only. It is the honeymoon. They're on their honeymoon. They're doing honeymoon things. It's not work time. Lady Coulson gives Daphne the tour of the house. And there's a lot going on here. There's a few moments that really stand out. When they go and and Daphne sees the picture of Simon's mother, that comes back a little later in the episode, but you can tell they want you to kind of sit with that a little bit and understand how that makes Daphne and Lady Coulson feel. And Lady Coulson, this whole entire time, is just everything. It's very cliche, but it worked for me, where Daphne is going around like, I'm going to change this, and I don't like that, and we're going to do that. And Lady Coulson, who's been running the show, like literally running the show, and the Duke has been not here. And the Duke just shows up after however long, they specify in the show it's a long time, with this woman. And this woman is just going to tell Lady Coulson what to do. Like, she, I get it from Lady Coulson. She obviously cannot stand that. And she makes this uh, comment at um, Simon's mum's photo, where the old Duchess, she says, and she was the perfect Duchess and and gives Daphne the side eye. And I was like, you go, girl. You tell, you put Daphne in her play. Daphne, I like this. It's another scene where both characters are correct and you just get to enjoy the conflict between them. So I really like this scene. And then, because Lady Coulson has not been given the download on the situation, she stops by the nursery and makes Daphne look at the nursery. And that makes Daphne sad, which it just would, right? You come into this house, you're, you're getting through your, there's work time and there's playtime. And through the playtime, you are getting over this whole children thing. Helps that you don't know how children are made because no one will tell you until later this episode. But she's kind of forgetting about it. She's living her life. She's having a good time. Clearly in love with the Duke. Clearly having a fun honeymoon. And the honeymoon period, always the best, but still. And then she has to look at this nursery and it just brings her down. Her whole level just comes down a little bit. And it's very, very unfortunate. And, and very, it's very sad. It's dinner time, and I have so many questions. So the Duke and Daphne sit very far apart at this table because that's how the old Duke liked it, right? The the little servant guy, the little... I don't want to say that he's not a little person, just the the servant, the help. I still don't know what to call these people. The help says, like, his grace or his old... I don't know what is the, the... His former grace, whatever, liked to have a formal table setup so cool they're sitting like a hundred yards from each other 
And the Duke and Daphne are like, yeah, this sucks. Do we have to do this? And then they don't. They Daphne just picks it up and switches. And all of the servants and all of the help, which there is way too many of, by the way. You don't need... I get why there's this many servants and they're on the payroll, so they got to work tonight, so whatever. But you don't need nine people to, <laughs> to just stand in the room while you're having dinner. Like, one or two will do. Surely the rest can go back and do other work somewhere else. But... Daphne is still switching things up. They decide to sit next to each other. Now, is this the first time the Duke has ever had dinner here? Or is this just the first time that the Duke has had dinner here with his wife? Because obviously that makes sense. But if this is the first time the Duke has ever just sat down and had dinner here, he's clearly... I just don't know. It adds to the commitment to not do his job. I took it as this is the first time this table has been set for a married couple in a very long time. And they just set the table like they knew how, like the other person wanted it, but they all seem shocked when it gets switched, which is weird because they mentioned that's just how the other guy preferred it, which indicates that preferences are okay, and Lady Coulson walks by this and it's just like, again, another thing? First the paintings, and now the carpet, and then you're going to move the chair? Daphne's going to move the chair? She's going to sit next to the Duke? And then, and then, to no one's surprise, the Duke and Daphne forego eating dinner, to just start making out. <laughs> just, I thought this was a bit... If any scene was a bit much, it was this one. Like, eat dinner first. What are you doing? You have all night. Again, take your time. Your honeymoon lasts as long as you want it to last. Eat your food. Go for a walk. Have some wine. You know, whatever you gotta do. Read the latest whistle down. Or whatever gets delivered to wherever they are. And, like, you have all evening. Don't rush it. It's dinner time. And we are finally here. The montage. Daphne and Duke leave dinner. Which I think they should have eaten. And then gone for a walk, had some wine, and then done all this. But that's okay. They're doing what they're going to do. It's their honeymoon. And they just start roaming the grounds. Just roaming the grounds. Doing stuff all over. This happens. This montage happens over multiple days. They're doing it in the rain. They're doing it in like a cathedral type thing. Uh, I don't know what that is, whatever kind of building that is, just on the grounds. They're doing it in the library, on the library ladder. They're just doing it everywhere. They're, it's wild. It's what? It's a honeymoon. It's a honeymoon. And what I like about this, what I like about this scene, aside from obviously the cover is amazing, right? The Taylor Swift song covered on this is amazing. It's a very, very fun scene. What I like about it is. Opposite to the the actual intro to this scene at dinner is sex can either add or take away from a show. Just like anything else can. But something like sex sticks out as something that either works or it doesn't. And what I liked about this scene is it's going at the same pace as Daphne and the Duke, but mainly Daphne. This is Daphne's sexual awakening. This is her discovering herself and her body and all of those things that we all have done. Right? Or all will do. Like, the fir- like once you have your first experience, there's like it's, it's like an awakening in a way. And you start discovering, like, what are the things you like? What are the things they like? What are the things that can make this better? What are, like, you, you start doing that whole process. And so this runs at the pace of that. This is an awakening for Daphne. Obviously, the Duke is experienced and loves participating. Fair enough. 
right? But it doesn't, it adds to the characters and doesn't take away. This is happening at the same pace as Daphne is experiencing it for the first time and discovering it. And I really like that, right? Again, I, I mentioned this in the last episode where maybe I said too much about myself, but that's fine, right? That there was a very genuineness or very, very clear, delicate delicate way of which they handled just the camera shots and the looks of that first time for Daphne. It's easy to get sucked into the Taylor Swift tier and to the montage and just be like, yeah, 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 we get it. We get it. But I really do think it does a great job of being delicate and true to what it's like. Look, everyone who watches this and goes, "Ugh, more sex scenes. Like this is something that happens. People have their own awakenings. And like, I just, like go on a honeymoon. That do that. Go go on vacation with your significant other and tell me you don't act like these animals. Like that's how it goes. Right? Like it's there's a delicateness and a genuineness to this. I'm taking it from Daphne's point of view, but how whichever point of view you want to take it, it's moving at the pace the characters are moving at and that's important cuz that's what makes it work and the Taylor Swift on top is just great. I also really like the little bait and swish, the little bookend of this um, scene here, where at the beginning at dinner time, or no, at the be- not the dinner, not at dinner time, at um, the beginning when they're doing their first little walk around makeout thing, Daphne is saying like, "Well, won't the staff see? Shouldn't we go somewhere else?" And then by the end of this little montage, it's the Duke being like, "Well, won't the staff see?" And then Daphne's the one who says, "Oh, who cares?" And I really like. That's what I'm talking about. That's why I'm taking it from Daphne's point of view is because the the dialogue gives you the story from Daphne's point of view, but it's an awakening. Daphne in like three or four scenes goes from somebody who's like, whoa, shouldn't we go somewhere else? And now she's just all over the grounds. She has been awoken. She is comfortable in her body with what she's doing with her husband. And she's the one by the end of this being like, hey, what do you care, dude? Like you own this place. Let's just do it right here, right now. Another thing I want to talk about, it happens in this scene, it happens in the other scenes. The Duke is still, I'm roll, I've am i rolled my eyes so hard, still using the pull-out method, which is, I have so many problems with what the Duke is doing, and we're going to talk about all of them later, but is he just leaving the mess everywhere? Like, is he just doing his thing, just on the marble, like on the marble staircase of that building, and then just leaving? Right later in one scene, he uses a napkin, which is something I thought was very funny. Right, but it just seems like does someone have to come around like in the library? Does someone have to come clean the library? It's just a little, a little disrespectful to the maids. I also really liked how the one scene in the library, the maids are outside like listening. Like this is just something so interesting. And Lady Coulson's like, yeah, yeah, yeah get out of here. And then she puts her ear to the door. Like no matter who comes by the door, everyone stops to listen to them do their thing in the library. And I thought that was funny that that's just such a hilarious thing to the help that they'll stop by the door and gossip about it. And that's their version of Lady Whistledown. I was like, ooh, did you see, or did you hear what was happening in the library? I like that for, it adds character to these side characters. Like the help has, they they do all the, the work, but they also like are people that find things funny and that gossip about things and that stand at doorways and it's just, like, listen to things they're not supposed to. It gives a little bit of a, a an extra bit of character to these people that I really liked. Daphne has a pit stop with Rose to discuss the, the goings-on of her new relationship with her husband. And she expresses 
disbelief at the fact that um, the Duke can perform adequately considering she assumed he had a physical impediment. And Rose loves this and is laughing and, and kind of just like chuckling along with Daphne and thinks all the gossip is great and is happy that Daphne is having her moment with her husband. But at this point, Daphne, I put in my notes, Daphne, wait until you find out the truth. And then dot, 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 Rose is, a, Rose is an amazing friend. But like alarm bells should be just going off. Just right now, just going off. Just in your head, just immediately like fat red alarm bells. Like an ambulance in your brain should be just firing on all cylinders. Now that I think about it, they, they probably don't have those big noises, like big like ambulance horns in Regent Sierra, England. But still, whatever the England, the Big Ben bell should just be going off in your brain. Like, hey, as I'm saying this out loud, something isn't adding up here. She eventually figures it out later, and we'll talk about that. But just at this scene, something should start happening. And it happens for the viewer, for sure. For sure, when I watch it's like, oh, this is the episode she finds out that she's being played a little bit, and this is when it's going to happen, because there's no way you put that in. So alarm bells started going off in my head. The big bed bell should have started going off in hers. Um, but Rose is a great friend. Buzzkill Colin shows up at breakfast and <laughs> decides to tell everyone to leave the room. Hyacinth thinks it's really funny that Colin's little thing with Marina is in Lady Whistledown. And then Mama Daff is doing the same kind of speech to Colin as she did with Daphne. And what I like about this is, is she's talking to Colin the same way Anthony does and the same way most of us as viewers are, knowing that Marine is playing him. That, hey, you're a bit young. This is a bit fast. You know, that kind of speech. But what the line I really liked in this scene was Mama Bridgerton, Violet. She says her name a hundred times in this episode, so now I'm confident that it's Violet. Um, Violet Bridgerton says that she wasn't expecting to have another leave the nest so soon. And I like that motherly moment for her. It's easy to see her as, with her daughters, as the person who has to get them ready to be married. Right? She does a terrible job, especially the explaining sex part, which I've litigated f for this whole show. But with the girls, it's different. But with the guys, she's just a mother. They're going to do what they're going to do. She has no real control over it. Right? But she's just a mother who wants the best for her kids. And I liked bringing her character down to just a mother. Right? And I know it's happened in other episodes and it's not the only time. But I think in this episode, it fit really well in this scene to just have this moment with Lady Bridgerton where she's just, she's just doesn't want her kids to leave the house. It has nothing to do with Marina or Colin or the marriage or anything or Lady Whistledown. It's just a very motherly, I just don't want you to leave. You're my kid. And I just, a kid just left. And I don't want that. I thought it was a very nice scene. There's a very strange scene, the first of many of which Marina's writing is off, but I understand what she's trying to say. Penelope and the Featheringtons and everyone's in there. I'm calling it the calling room, the drawing room, whichever room this is. And they're all sitting there. And the two older sisters, the one that was with Cheese and Sneeze and the other one, I don't know their names. Unfortunately, I can't remember. But... They're talking about Lady Whistledown, and Marina comes in and talks to Penelope, and Penelope is obviously pissed at the situation. What I don't get from Marina is, doesn't Marina understand why Penelope is mad? So I wrote these notes before the episode ended, obviously, because this happens about a third of the way through, when she finds out later, which was another poor piece of writing because it was very obvious, but... She finds out later that Penelope likes Colin and that's why she's mad. But just the lack of 
empathy from Marina here to not even understand why Penelope's pissed, but also Marina, you, what, like, just the, it's just the words she's using are, are strange, right? What she's trying to say to Penelope is, hey, I know that this isn't something you support. I need to do this for these reasons, but I do really value your friendship. I do care about you. Your support so far in other things has been... Like, she's trying to say that, and it's meant to be a little sentimental. She kind of comes across very, like, disingenuous, and Penelope even says that, like, don't insult me, don't whatever it is, and that's how it comes across, and it's just weird and a little bit clunky, but the one thing I took away from it, and it gets answered later, but at this point, I was like, Marina, do you really not understand why she's mad at you? Like, can you not just pause for a second... And just think, like, why in the world would Penelope possibly be so mad about this? And so, I just think the way this was written was a bit weird. But you're meant to you're meant to understand why Penelope's mad and feel a little bit mad for Marina. But what I did like in this scene a lot was the end moment. So I use the word dunderhead a lot. I think it's a great word. I think describing somebody as a dunderhead is fantastic. I think it's just such a good... <laughs> Such a good word. And it's used in the context of somebody says uh, that they're going to have beautiful children. I think it's one of the older Featherington sisters. And then the other one's like, well, he's not the father, you dunderhead. And I thought that was so funny. We head to the Modiste and Lady Featherington and Lady Bridgerton are going to have dinner together because Marina is now part of the family. And they're doing that kind of thing. In this scene, Marina... So, so let's backtrack. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Lady Featherington is there to get a not a wedding dress but like a nice new dress for um marina so lady featherington there to get a nice new dress for marina that'll do a better job of hiding her little baby bump as she goes along to make sure that's not going to be a problem when they arrive the featheringtons are already there because miss bridgerton violet is trying to get eloise to to change the hem of her dress or something to start getting ready for the social season next year whatever it is i don't understand again i need a female co-host i have no idea how any of this works i don't know anything about hems or dresses or modistes so this whole scene just whoop right over my head but she needs to change her dress for some reason that has to do with the social season. And Marina needs a dress, I think, because pregnancy makes belly big. Dress helps hide that a little bit, I think is the equation that's happening. The modiste, who's doing her job, says, hey, you never pay your bills. I'm not making you a dress. Marina, who miraculously speaks French. I hate this. I hate this so much. If Marina speaks French, that is fine. This is like deus ex machina French. She just speaks French because there's no... I feel like what happened is... Like, they forgot or cut the scene earlier where they mention that Marina's mother was French. Because in this scene, the modiste is speaking in her French accent. And you know what? I'm glad this came up at least. So they did all the legwork to make you wonder what's going on with her accent. But then Marina just speaks French and... There's, you never get the explanation as to why she's using the accent. So I still don't really understand it. So I hope this comes up again, because if this doesn't get resolved by the end of the season, I don't understand why the modiste is changing her accent. I assume because a French accent sounds better when you're selling clothing. I have no idea. Marina just speaks French because, of course, she does in this scene. Her speaking French 
to the modiste, who isn't just using a French accent. The modiste actually speaks French because she understands what Marine is saying in French, and this whole thing has nothing to do with paying your bills. That's the worst part about this scene, is that it doesn't matter. The modiste can fake whatever accent she wants, right? You haven't paid your bills. You receive dress. You pay bill. The accent and the authentic, authenticity of that accent of the person who makes your dress does not equate into the you receive dress, you pay bill mathematical formula. So I think the whole thing sucks. <laughs> this whole scene sucked. Marina speaking French just miraculously. The modiste using her accent, which is fine. We just don't know why, so it's a bit weird because it never gets explained. I will admit, I'm glad that this did come up because at least they made, like they did the legwork. So they gave you enough opportunity to figure out that she's not using her accent. But also the fact that like, this French accent, English accent thing is going to be such a big scandal that the Featheringtons just never have to pay their bills again? That makes no sense. None of it makes sense. I don't understand what's happening in this scene. But everyone gets their dresses, so all is well. The Duke finally doing his job. Good work, Duke. I'm going to be I'm going to be good to the Duke here. He has clearly ignored his job entirely up until this point and we have a little bit of backstory as to why but he's at least trying to do it he's around he's present he's looking at the books he's checking the numbers he brings Daphne to the fair Daphne is on it Daphne's trying to be kind to everyone she's trying to be a good duchess she's trying to solve people's problems with the rent but she makes a mistake at the pig thing and <laughs> my favorite thing about the pig thing is how how unimportant the whole thing is in the grand scheme of the show. Like, we go from a scene like someone catfishing Colin into, or honeypotting Colin into a marriage to look after her child that she got with another person, and it's going to ruin his reputation. Like, the stakes are sky high over there. And then the stakes here are like, there's a couple of pigs and you have to pick a winner. Now, we, we find out later why that that's a, an actual thing, but I just loved how low the stakes were in this scene. At some point during this scene, a child runs up crying to Daphne, and Daphne picks up the child and is clearly somebody who would be a good mother. And the Duke, the Duke stares at this, unbelievable, unacceptable, stares at this and goes, nah, I ain't telling her the truth. She'd be a great mother, but I ain't telling her anything. I'm going to keep using the pullout method. She's getting pregnant, my guy. If this is your only, with, I said last episode that she would get pregnant for sure with the pull-up method if they had sex once every two weeks for 20 years. I was like, there's a chance, there's a good chance at some point at that frequency that that'll, that'll like mess up at least the one time. But they're doing it 20 times a day. This is the worst strategy ever. Now there's not a lot of contraception options, but I cannot believe that the Duke looked, stared, they, they put the camera on his face, stared at Daphne being a good mother to this child, and went, nah, I'm not telling her anything. Ridiculous. The mom comes up and sorts out everything with the kids, all is well. Daphne then brings this up. I literally, in a good way, again, 
a lot of the critiques are good because you want your like I love sitting in the gray, but it does make you mad at some of the characters. So I I'm saying this whole thing out of love because I enjoy the dynamic here. But I did want to just punch the Duke clean in the face because Daphne brings it up. I brought it up internally and wrote it in my notes. Like, nah, I'm not going to tell her. And then she brings it up. Like, I thought it would paint. I thought it would pain you to see me with that child. Daphne actually cares about Simon. Actually cares. And, like, clearly would actively try to avoid making him upset. Like, if the child hadn't run up to her crying, she wouldn't have, like, gone out of her way to go and find someone's kid to play with. Right? So she actually cares. And the Duke says, I'm so glad that you're so happy with our marriage as it is. Just the two of us. How did I get such luck? You know how you got the luck? I'm going to tell you a secret. By lying. It's not luck. You just you just omitted a very important piece of information and continue to omit and lie about it even though it gets brought up. So now, now nobody can say Daphne hasn't brought it up, right? She assumes it's a physical impediment, so of course she's not going to ask the question, why can't you have kids? Because she thinks she knows the reason. So she's never going to ask why because she thinks she knows why. But she is giving the Duke every opportunity to just do the right thing. And he actively chooses every time, not just to embrace the omitting and the lying, but to be happy about it. How did I get such luck? Screw you, man. You got it by lying. That's how you got the luck, right? Don't ask such a dumb question. You lied and omitted a bunch of information that is directly pertinent to this person. And... Now I don't I just I don't know what else to say about this other than I am fully on Daphne's side in this scene. Like it's ridiculous that the Duke continues not to tell the truth. Back at the Featheringtons, uh, Marina does a swish, and <laughs> Lady Featherington says, "No, do another swish." And then I wrote, "Is this the episode title?" Dot dot dot. Really? Dot dot dot. Oh my God! It is in capital letters. After I went back and checked, that swish was the episode title. After the swish, they go to, I don't know if it's the Featherington house or the Bridgerton house, but they all go for dinner, that dinner we talked about earlier, between the Bridgertons and the Featheringtons, and it's a little bit awkward, and they're having fun, and they're talking about, is Marina a proper lady, can she sew, all of those types of things. Penelope decides to confront Marina, and I agree with Penelope that what Marina is doing is wrong, right? My problem with Penelope in this episode, and it's developed in the best way because it adds a layer. As the more I think about it, Penelope only cares about this very selfishly. She was at the ball the last episode or two episodes ago just saying, like, you can mess with any of these people. Ruin any of these people's lives if you must. Just don't ruin Collins because I like him. And it's just, I understand why she's doing it. Like, Game of Thrones, what will you do for love? Or, the things I do for love is the quote from Game of Thrones. Penelope loves Colin, and she'll do a lot for him, right? But, she doesn't actually care about the ruse. Because she said you can do it to anyone else but Colin. So, she doesn't care on a moral ground, like, 
Marina, you shouldn't do this to anybody. She only cares that it's Colin. So while she's saying this, I'm agreeing with her that it's bad, but she only thinks it's bad because it's Colin, not because what Marina's doing is bad. And Marina, again, the writing is just a little bit off, but I understand why she's doing it. She's going to have a kid. She's got to figure something out. She says later in the episode that Colin will be a good guy and a good father. And once he finds out I've lied, then I'll live with that. But at least I'll live in the knowledge that he's a good guy. So I understand that. Penelope decides to talk to Colin about this whole thing. Colin is in the hallway. Penelope approaches him. And then she tells him about the love letters which boggles my mind. You've pulled Colin aside. You've got him. You're going to tell him the thing that stops him from being with Marina. And you tell her about the love letters, right? I guess what she, I guess she's trying to be diplomatic. She's trying to, to, to change Colin's mind, but to do the least amount of damage possible is my guess. But like, dude, just tell him about the baby. Go all in. Your chips are in. You love this guy. And he's being played. You're right. <laughs> right? Like, if you tell him about the baby, no one's going to hate you. You're going to be a hero. Lady Featherington probably be pissed. But, you're like, that'd be a good thing. Even if you're doing it for selfish reasons. Like, he deserves to know this info. But she goes with the love letters thing. And then that doesn't convince Colin. Which, of course, it doesn't. Because Colin's in love with Marina. And I think Penelope just took the wrong approach here. I think Penelope should have just put all her chips in, right? You're so close to putting all your chips in, you might as well just go all in. Because what are you going to do if you only have the small blind left to play? You're not going to win the game. So you better go with the thing that's going to convince them instead of the thing that might but probably isn't going to. Marina interrupts with a witty comment about, is the party out in the corridor? And Colin's like, I like the corridor or something like that, which is interesting. And the reason why he likes the corridor is that one of the Featherington girls is singing in the dinner room and is just terrible. Just awful. And Anthony's face is just like, oh my God, like, do I have to listen to this? And Mr. Featherington is just having a whiskey like, yep, not my daughter singing that. Uh Uh-uh, no way. Definitely not mine. (laughs) And that's pretty funny. And so they're out in the corridor and that's where this Penelope and Colin thing happened. And Marina is now with Colin and she's laying it on thick for this early wedding, really committing to her part. She has her chips in. Marina has her chips in and Penelope put most of her chips in, but didn't fully commit. And Marina wins in this situation. You got to go all in. That's the lesson you learned from this scene. And then we learn about Chekhov's Gretna Green. Of course, there's a place that's just a carriage ride away where you can just get married and you can start tomorrow. You can leave tomorrow, get married in a couple of days and it counts and it's legal and everyone's going to be mad at you. So Chekhov's Gretna Green has entered our timeline and that's where they're going to go to get married soon. Back with Daphne and the Duke. Daphne is trying to find the Duke because he hasn't been around very much. Daphne passes the nursery and it's even more sad than the first time. Now that we know, now that we know that the Duke, like the Duke had his chance to tell her the truth. Very obviously and openly it was there and he decided not to take it. So it hurts even more seeing this scene now because now you know that the Duke is really just like, nah, I'm never telling her for no, like it. I get it, but it still just bugs me. Again, in the best way, but it just, oh, the Duke just drives me insane. So she finds the Duke, and he's looking at books and signing papers, and one of those, like, 
very clearly they were in the writer's room. They're like, how do we make sure the Duke looks like he's working? And someone was like, if he's signing lots of papers and reading lots of books and talking about money, I'm sure that'll do it. So he's doing all those worky work things. And Daphne's trying to get him to go to bed or something. And he says, the responsibility is mine. And then I wrote down, the responsibility is yours? Question mark. You didn't even want to do the job ever. Question mark. You were (laughs) just a couple episodes ago when he was going to leave London. He told Lady Danbury, who I missed in this episode, by the way. He told Lady Danbury that he was going to go on a boat. So he was going to leave for even longer. He was going to sail somewhere. So like, he doesn't care. I'm glad. I'm glad that he's taking his job seriously now. Just a little late, pal. Just a little late. But I'm glad you're catching up now. This is your responsibility. Glad you're taking it seriously. Just keep in mind you were about to jump ship. Like, you've never done the job and you were about to doubly not do the job just a while ago. Daphne, I guess the next day, goes to the garden and is putting some baskets together because her mother told her that it was nice to go around and as a duchess and give baskets of treats to your uh, the people in your charge. So she goes to the village. Before, actually, before that, <laughs> Lady Coulson comes up and gets super mad at her. I, I, it looks like lavender to me. I don't know what it is that she's picking or whatever. But Lady Coulson gets very, very upset. Like, I have servants. How dare you pick your own garden stuff? If you need anything, just tell me your every want and need, and I will make sure it is attended to. And I think that's just very... Lady Coulson just has her job. And her job is just to be grumpy with everyone and to make sure shit gets done. And she does a lot better of a job than the Duke ever does. So you know what? lady? I support Lady Coulson in this endeavor. Daphne and Rose then go to the village where no one wants her baskets, so she thinks something is wrong. She assumes it's her dress or the way she walks or the way her dress is sewn or put together or her instep. I don't know. These are lots of words that I don't really understand, but she's saying them, and that's what she thinks it is. And then she runs into the same kid who runs up to her and hugs her. So this kid likes Daphne after that one experience. That's cool. Um, the mother would have taken a basket, but she doesn't want to carry it home because she doesn't have any, she doesn't have any hands. She doesn't have any open hands to carry anything. So Daphne insists on walking with her. And this is where we find out. This doesn't really make sense to me, but I'll go along to get along that everyone is dislikes Daphne because she said that all three pigs won the pig thing. And then the winner typically gets the contract to make all the pork for everyone in the area and so with no winner right no one got the contract and the money that goes with it which leads me to a few questions like so no one gets pork you have three pig farmers one of them gets to make the pork for everyone for a year and just because Daphne said now no one gets pork they don't just split it evenly and people just stop buying pork it's just weird to me that no I get why it's like annoying that this is the typical way they figure things out but it's weird to me that because Daphne said that they all tied, that they just don't figure anything out. They're just like, you know what? No pork. I guess we're not having pork and no one's getting the income. And you're just like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Um, so Daphne's going to fix everything at once and that's cool. But the whole pork thing just confused me. But we find out why Daphne is being shunned a little bit by all of the, the people in her charge. And to be fair, she's trying so hard. She is doing a good job at being the Duchess, or at least trying to be, so I did feel a little bit bad for her in this scene. Upon her return, Daphne asks for a word with Mrs. Coulson, and they just sit down and have a nice chat, and this is what they need. Two adults sorting out their differences over a conversation. Man, 
great to see, uh, just in any TV show, just good maturity to see here. This conversation, they talk a lot about Simon's upbringing, about the old Duchess, and those types of things, how the Duke spent almost all of his time in London, so Simon stayed here and was raised here, and they did the best they could to raise him. And I like that for Mrs. Coulson. Again, having these side characters that have layers to them, now we know that she helped raise the Duke, and that she's been there the whole time, and they did their best based on what the Duchess wanted. And this is someone, Miss Coulson, who just cares about her job, cares about the estate, cares about doing a good job, cares about the old Duchess. Like, just, she's a caring person, even if she comes across as a little grumpy. This conversation leads into, via talking about the Duchess and the old Duke and how they wanted to have kids and how sometimes this person's fertile and that times that person's barren and all of these things, the alarm bells start going off about a womb and all of these words that involve baby making. Um, she talks about a womb and how um, even the best womb can't be uh, or can't make a baby without the strong seed or whatever it is she said. But she's starting to put this picture in Daphne's mind about how babies are made, which like fucking finally. So Miss Coulson, Miss Coulson is the person who tells Daphne how babies are made or at least gets her brain thinking about the ins and outs of the process. I put, does Daphne even know what the word womb is? <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so funny, but this leads Daphne later. She She's starting to think about it now. Now we're rolling. This is the second scene where you're like, the momentum's building to the point where Daphne's gonna find out about the betrayal. So you're just like, the ball is rolling towards this point. We get a bit of a breakdown here with Penelope and Lady Featherington and Marina. Penelope's trying to skip a dinner that they're trying to go to. And I put, this is, this is so two times in this episode, the camera, like Lady Whistledown's thing, her speech ends and it cuts immediately to Penelope. And then this scene, it's so like, why does Penelope, so she's faking that she's sick so she can miss this dinner. Why does Penelope need to do this? Right? Clearly, she's either... I doubt she is Lady Whistledown. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense to me. But she's involved. I got that sense earlier when she was talking with Eloise. And now, like, she is skyrocketing on my Lady Whistledown power rankings. Not that she is Lady Whistledown. I think the crying scene at the end of the episode kind of leads you to believe that she's not. And also, we're not really trying to think about the mystery of Lady Whistledown in this episode. Other things are happening. But... I put in my notes, if something happens in Whistledown to Marina, then Penelope is definitely Whistledown or involved with Whistledown. I wrote that in my notes the second the scene ended. And then sure enough, later in this episode, Whistledown knows about the Marina Colin thing. So I'm just, the way this was edited was a bit on the nose. I would be floored, absolutely shell-shocked if we don't find out that Penelope is involved with Whistledown in some way, because there's no way you have these obvious camera cuts in this scene if she's not, I don't think. I think it's too much time spent on this in this episode, unless they're really trying to pull you in. I have no idea. But I just, I noticed it, and I wanted to call it out. But Penelope needs to miss this dinner. Once she has successfully missed the dinner, she goes and she sleuths around, and she finds out about the ruse, the one that Lady Featherington did with her help, and they forged the letter and all that stuff that happened a few episodes ago. And she goes to Marina and thinks this is going to solve all the problems. Like, hey, look, my mom forged this thing. This guy still loves you. She is doing everything she can 
to make sure that Marina does not marry Colin. She finds out that this is the part that really sealed the deal for me, is that she sees that the bags are packed and that she's going. And then she knows what Gretna Green is. So I like that Gretna Green is the place that all the people go if they want to do these marriages they're not meant to do. I think it's nice to have a place. Like We have Las Vegas. They have Gretna Green. I think that's awesome for them. Right? But she sees the bag. So if Whistledown is going to break this story in time, right? I'm assuming Whistledown only gets uh, published in London. Right? This needs to be in tomorrow morning's paper. There's a there's an expediency to this that needs to happen, and sure enough, it's in tomorrow's paper. And I'm not sure how many people, other than Colin and Marina, who didn't do this, and um, Penelope, who is the only one left who could have done this, would have understood how quickly this needed to happen. Now, obviously, the Whistledown paper does not mention Gretna Green. So the person who put it in there could have not known about the Gretna Green thing, and it's just a coincidence that it comes out just in time to stop them. But I really get the sense from Penelope this episode. She's doing all she can. There was that scene earlier. She's trying to be diplomatic. She's trying not to do as much damage, as, or she's trying to not do any damage or as little damage as possible. But everything about the editing and the way and the, the way it's shot and the timing and just the, the everything about it. I'm like, okay, you got it. She's got to be involved, right? Am I going insane? Penelope's got to be involved with Lady Whistledown somehow, or at least knows who she is, or knows who to give the info to to make sure it's in the paper. Maybe she knows that's it. That has to be it. Maybe she knows the person who, like, maybe she knows who to tell if she wants something in Whistledown. Maybe that's it. Anyways, whatever. So Gretna Green is a thing, and Marina's laying it down. She gets, this, her writing is terrible. Marina's writing in this scene is awful. Absolutely atrocious. But... She's very, very rude to Penelope, which is the part that makes no sense to me. But the sentiment of what she's saying makes a lot of sense. It's a bit weird that she just figured out now that Penelope likes Colin, and that's why. I thought it was a bit obvious when she said, hey, you can do this to anybody but Colin. I thought that was the line that would have given it away that she likes Colin, because she singled him out as the only person you can't honeypot, but that's fine. Um, so it's weird that Marina's just discovering now that Penelope likes Colin, which is mind-boggling. But Marina, what she's saying, despite how poorly it's written, what she is saying is like, look, I gotta make adult choices, Penelope. You don't get it. I am pregnant. Pregnant without husband, very bad for me. I am willing to marry a good and kind man and betray them and take the risk that they'll still be good and kind, right? However however angry they're going to get and at least do the basic care for this child then go and live in the streets of London that Miss Featherington showed me earlier. So what Marina's saying makes a lot of sense. I love living in the gray here. I like that Penelope is doing what she thinks is right, even if it's for selfish reasons. Marina is doing what she thinks is right, um, again, for selfish reasons as well. And I just like sitting in the gray. I think they're both right. I just think Marina's side of it is not written very well. This is where things start getting really intense. And remember, there will be a trigger warning when I start going into the details that some people might not want to listen to. So you're still good. Simon and Daphne. Daphne goes and finds Simon working real hard because he's a workaholic now. He's made that switch real fast from doesn't give a shit about being the Duke to being the best dukey duke he can be. He's duked out. Anyways, 
She goes and finds him. And of course, because it's still their honeymoon, they start they start doing it on the desk or in the room. I can't even remember exactly, but they just start right there where they are just doing their thing. I think it's where he's working. There's things clattering around everywhere and it's there. You get the picture. He decides, this is where I wrote in my notes, does foreplay not exist? Come on, be nice. Simon, take more time. Oh my God. (laughs) So this is where I wrote all the foreplay notes. And then he decides he's going to finish into a napkin. And then decides that he's just going to throw the napkin just into the room. Who's cleaning this up? I mentioned this earlier. Who does the help have to clean? This is ridiculous. He's so far in this episode, he's finished on some marble exterior of whatever building that was. He's finished like on the ladder of a library. He's finished in a, even when he finishes in a napkin, he doesn't throw it away. He just chucks it on the desk, which is, ugh, or on the ground or something. So the Duke is irresponsible with his sex funk stuff. He's got to figure that out. Anyways, (laughs) I can't believe I just used the word sex funk. Dear Lord, what is this podcast is doing things to me? Anyways, whatever. I can't believe I just said that. Did I just say that? I'm going to keep it in. You know what? I'm keeping it in. I edit these so I can go back and say whatever I want. But I'm going to keep that in just for you. That's, I can't believe I just said that. After the napkin incident, which is ridiculous, Daphne decides, or finally figures out, sorry, she doesn't decide. She looks at the napkin and goes, oh. So the parts do work, and she's clicking. She's like, that must be the seed. I, she's like, all the things are going in her brain. She's like, oh, there's a womb, and there's a seed, and you need a good womb and strong seed. And that's what she's, that's the basis she's operating at right now. And she goes, oh, I must have the womb, because that's definitely the seed, right? And so she now sees that his parts indeed do work, and that some kind of seed is being produced on the napkin. And so here's where she goes into full Sherlock Holmes mode. She goes to find Rose. Rose gives Daphne the details of exactly, and she, Daphne specifies Rose, I want you to tell me exactly how this works, and do not leave out any details. She wants to know word for word how this is gonna, how this works, how making a baby works. Rose says, but your mother, and then Daphne speaks for definitely me. I don't know how everyone else felt watching this, though. She says, my mother told me nothing. Good for you, Daphne. Your mother damn right didn't tell you a single thing. It's been annoying me for six episodes. But Daphne finally, at this point, fully understands the way that babies are made, the fact that there's a really good chance that Simon's lying, and that she's been betrayed, and she sets off on a mission. Upon learning all this information, Daphne spends the next day going to the market to fix the problem with the farmer that she wronged earlier about the pigs and all that. There's a really cool scene in here where Daphne, like Simon comes into bed and kisses her goodnight and she's just staring at the other end of the room. Like she knows, she knows at this point she has been betrayed. And she's just figuring out how to go about it, how to handle it emotionally, what she's going to do about it. She has a sense now that she's just been completely lied to and betrayed here. And she goes to help this farmer. And the farmer, I loved how happy the farmer was. 
I loved the farmer's like, oh my god, you're the best. Thank you so much. You're amazing. The Duke's amazing. This land's amazing. I'm happy. It's raining and I'm stoked. And Daphne tells the the servant guy, like, I just I'm going for a walk. And she's like almost in tears. It's heartbreaking to watch Daphne slowly understand the gravity of her situation right now and just have that weigh on her. She just needs to sit in that. And just, it just, you can tell, like, her shoulders look heavy. It's just weighing on her, and she's almost crying, but she's trying to, she's, she's doing a good job at being the Duchess while dealing with all of this emotional trauma and almost crying. She's killing it in this scene right now. Um, and then I wrote, I, I wrote, there's no way shit doesn't happen now. And here we go. We are now at the point of the episode where the sexual assault happens, and I want to make sure people who do not want to discuss this and don't want to hear me talk about it uh, have the opportunity to hop out of the podcast now. We will be ending this podcast with this discussion, so no need to worry about trying to tune back in for the end or anything. This will be the end of the podcast if you are tuning out uh, at this point. So if you are, thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We will be back in your feeds in just a couple of days with episode 7 hopefully a little a little brighter and more uplifting than this one ends but thank you so much for being here thank you so much for listening don't forget to subscribe to the feed wherever you're listening and leave reviews and and reach out to me and twitter and email and all of those things otherwise for those of you who are sticking through and staying till the end of this podcast and discussing this last scene with me uh, let's do it one of the things that really struck me and came to mind as I was watching this scene, you know, I've watched this scene twice, just watching the show, and then a third time. I really wanted to meet the moment with this scene. It's a hard scene to talk about and discuss and break down. And so I wanted to meet the moment and, and, and try and do my best to do a good job with this. And it's really hard when you're just talking to yourself in a room to make sure that what you're saying and what you're, what you're thinking are coming across properly in the podcast format. So I'm doing my best. It's a bit of a challenging scene to, to meet the moment for, but I'm going to try. One of the things that I, I don't want to do is litigate whether or not this scene should have been in the show. I did my research as best as I could with this scene. I went and read articles and all these types of things online about it and how other people uh, felt the scene went and how other people kind of broke it down and how they discussed it there was a lot of people in there that were arguing about whether or not the scene should or should not have been in the show or should it have been changed or anything like that and that's not what I'm here to litigate right now maybe that's for a end of season podcast but I'm breaking down the show as it's presented to us and this was a scene in the show so just be aware that even though I do have opinions on this scene about whether they should have included it or should not have or whether it could have been changed or whether because it's in the book it should be in the show all of those things are valid those that's just not what I'm doing this podcast so just if I don't mention any of those things that is why the thing that struck me though and the thing that I thought a lot about as I was rewatching this as I was going online to see how other people felt about this scene was the show Chernobyl on HBO now if you've never watched the show Chernobyl on HBO. It's a very, very, very good, amazing, fantastic, limited series about the nuclear reaction and explosion at Chernobyl that we are familiar with in real life. And they pull you back into that time and into that world to, to give you the details of how you got to that moment. How does something like Chernobyl happen? Because something like Chernobyl should not happen. So how do we get there to that thing that shouldn't happen? And how we got there with Chernobyl, and the show says this in the first one of the first scenes with the main character, the whole premise of that show is, what are the cost of lies? Chernobyl happens because so many people 
at their own little lie, their own little deception, their own little trickery on the pile of lies, deceptions, and tricks, and it keeps adding up, and it keeps adding up, and eventually, you have just a foundation of lies, or uh, things that aren't true, or deceptions, or, uh, you know, lying by omission, just not having the information you need to make good choices, and all of these people that are adding to that pile do it for their own selfish reasons. They do it for a variety of other reasons that aren't selfish at all, but they keep adding to it. And eventually, that foundation of lies, and I, I, I realize the word lie contains a lot of different types of, of um, uh, emotional deficit that isn't just like trickery or deception or any of the other things or lying by omission. That's all in there. So the word lie, as I use it here, really is trying to capture a lot more than just straight up lying. But in Chernobyl, a bunch of people added on to that pile of lies and Chernobyl exploded. And that's how that happened. And that's exactly how I feel about this scene in Bridgerton. If you go back and you listen to the last five podcasts, one of the things that's really bothered me is that Daphne is consistently either lied to or not given the information she needs or deceived or like just sleight of hand, like tricked in some ways. And I've been bringing it up almost by accident, not knowing where it was going to lead, but I'm really not surprised that it ended up here. So let's start with, let's start with Lady Bridgerton. Lady Bridgerton isn't culpable for straight up lying to Daphne. Right, and certainly isn't at all responsible for the terrible choice Daphne makes here. But she is responsible for preparing Daphne or not preparing her for any kind of moment like this. Because she is not given, and I'm har- I've harped about it a lot, so I'm not going to keep harping on about it. She's not given her daughter Daphne, and this is a problem for all women in this world, not just Daphne. But we can go back and listen to the other five podcasts if you want my full opinion on the whole thing. But she's not given information about sex, about how babies are made, about relationships, about anything. She's given information on how to host a ball and how to be a duchess. But none of the actual important emotional um, and physical and biological information she needs to understand as a woman in this world. Her mother is responsible for giving that to her, and she did not. And even that time that Colin and Benedict are trying to be funny about it, like, have you ever been to a farm? Those types of things. She shuts that conversation down. She takes an active role in making sure that Daphne is uninformed about this topic, not just Daphne and not out of malice because everybody in this world is uninformed and it's actually the social custom to be fairly uninformed about these things. But an uninformed person rarely makes good choices and that contributes to the choice Daphne makes here is that she just doesn't have any knowledge of anything beforehand and she's learning this all really quickly when everyone's emotions are running high. Once she feels like she's been deceived and tricked and lied to, she's not finding this out in a nice safe environment when tensions are lower, when she doesn't have to take this information and act on it in any way. And so the the culmination of that Combined with the Duke and what he does, let's talk about the Duke here. Now, the Duke, um, the Duke, I think, the more I've thought about it, I think that original part at the duel where the Duke says, I can't give you children, and Daphne's okay with that, I think you're good if you're the Duke there. 
I think, you know, you're in the middle of a duel. You don't want to be seen. You don't want to be caught. You don't want to have kids. You just don't want to have kids. And so you don't have time to explain it to Daphne. Also, like, why does Daphne need to know this? You don't You don't have an obligation to be truthful here or to kind of say your whole life story or anything like that. So from the Duke's point of view, I think you're good to go at the duel to just do what he does and say, hey, I can't give you kids, whatever, whatever. And then Daphne decides that she's going to marry him anyway because she does not want him to die or does not want Anthony to die or for whatever all the variety of reasons she really likes the Duke there's a whole bunch of different reasons there but she's cool with that she would rather marry somebody who can't give her kids than have Lady Cowper tell everyone or I can't remember exactly all the reasons but I remember mentioning a variety of them she has a variety of reasons to enter this enter into this marriage with the Duke and she's going into it with the with the interpretation that he cannot have kids physically now once that is finished though the duke bears a lot of responsibility for setting up daphne and informing her for this moment because he does not ever once in any kind of good conscience or good faith knowing how much it means to her explain what he meant I agree in the moment what he said was fine, but to never explain it properly after the wedding, after this episode where he saw how happy she was with children in this episode, he's not only deliberately not explaining what he meant. He is actively like almost rubbing it in her face a little bit like, oh, how did I get so lucky? It's like, I already mentioned this. You lied. You did not tell her the truth. That is how you got lucky. It's not luck. It's just lies, right? And so for Daphne, you have this whole foundation of people that you rely on. She knows like two people she trusts, her mom and the Duke. And neither of those people are giving her the information she needs to make a good choice. We talk a lot in real life in 2021 about the term setting people up for success. The thought being, if people are set up for success that they are set up to meet the challenges in front of them and to meet the moments that they face in life, that they will more than likely meet them because they have been set up to succeed. Not everyone set up to succeed will succeed, right? People still need to take agency over their lives and their choices. But we talk a lot about, in real life, the idea that you need to set people up for success. Daphne was absolutely and positively not set up for success. She makes a terrible, awful choice. And we're going to talk about that choice and what it means just after this. She makes a terrible and awful choice. But she is not set up by anyone in her life to make a good choice here. It would have been more shocking to me if she made a good choice here. Because she has been set up for failure. She has been set up to make an awful choice in this moment. And she does. So it shouldn't be surprising. We can talk about the specific choice and we will. But it should not be surprising to anybody who's watched this show. That when Daphne is presented with all this information in quick successions, the emotions are running high. And we've all made bad choices when we're emotional. We have all made terrible choices when we're emotional. Hopefully none anything like the one that happens in the show. Right, But we all know what that feels like, to feel uninformed, to feel like you weren't set up for succeed, to feel like you were thrown in the deep end when you could not swim, 
we all know what that feels like. And that is 100% Daphne here. So the fact that this is all happening to her right now, and she takes all that information and makes a terrible choice, does not surprise me. It would have surprised me if she made a great choice, because she has not been set up for that, and that is not her character. The choice Daphne makes is... As far as I can tell watching this, feel free to email me if I've got the whole setup of this scene wrong. As far as I can tell, the choice Daphne is making is she already thinks she has been deceived and lied to by the Duke after that conversation with Lady Coulson about the womb and the seed and all of that. So she goes to Rose already thinking she's been deceived and lied to. She's already emo- like she's already going to make a bad choice before she talks to Rose. It's bad choice. We are on the train to terrible choice town already after the conversation with Lady Coulson. She goes to Rose for clarification about how everything works. How exactly do people come with child? I'm assuming Rose gives her all the details and she puts two and two together that all of that stuff that the Duke is just doing everywhere is actually the seed. To her, she would think of it as the seed and that she knows now that everything's in working order. She thinks, or she at least thinks she knows that everything's in working order. So she needs to figure out and find out exactly whether everything works and whether he can or cannot have kids. The way she goes about it, though, is to sexually assault. And I would classify it, and I think a lot of people in 2021 would classify it as rape her husband. And I think before we continue... We need to talk about the difference in characters and how we interpret things and how they interpret things in uh, the Regency era. I apologize if breaking down the scene takes like an hour. I'm really trying to meet the moment here and do the best I can. Bridgerton does not do itself any favors with this scene when it comes to the characters in the show are from the Regency era, so they're going to have one set of beliefs, and we're in 2021, so we're going to have another. This show goes out of its way, and I love when it does this, and I brought it up multiple times, to do a wink and a nod to all of us people watching in 2021 that, hey, we we know we're making this for a 2021 audience because there's Taylor Swift in this show. There's Billie Eilish in, in this show. It's a Regency drama, but they wink and they nod, and they bring you in like, hey, we've got you. We know you're from 2021, which is an awful choice to make Because the whole emotional math of this scene relies on you understanding that the characters in this show think differently to us. And that is totally fine to have your audience do that, right? If this had just been a Regency period piece the whole time, it would be much easier to do that. It's much harder to do that once they've already taken 2021 and inserted it into a period piece. It makes it really hard to, to, to really divide like oil and water the Regency era parts of this from the future parts of this because they didn't have to put any future parts in the show. And then you'd be totally fine, right? But it was hard to kind of pull these things apart because of their insistence and, and of the very well done inclusion of all of this music from 2021 we are meant to understand here that in this show in this time the characters do not think as we do now obviously 
in 2021, we are much, much, much more um, knowledgeable and in tune with terms like sexual assault, rape, marital rape, those types of things. And I would argue in 2021, we're still awful at dealing with this, right? In 2021, we are still, as a society, absolutely dreadful in dealing with sexual assault, whether it's not believing accusers, whether it's once people have been prosecuted, the punishments for those prosecutions, uh, whether it's the mental health and the trauma afterwards that we don't give enough support for, we are still terrible at dealing with this in 2021. And terms or, or thoughts, you know, I've been an adult now for seven years, and the idea, the idea that you can, I think, rape your husband and the idea that you can rape um, your spouse uh, specifically are not new ideas, but are just now becoming broadly accepted. I think at least where I live, it is broadly accepted that yes, you can rape somebody you're married to. Whereas even a generation ago or two generations ago, that would have not been the broad interpretation of that. And I don't want to get into the minutia of timelines on these thoughts because they're regional and there's a variety of things that affect them and I could be off cuz I'm just I'm just using my own life experience here cuz that's all I can do. Right? But the point I'm trying to make is even in 2021, we are still terrible and we are still learning and we're still trying to be better, but we are still not very good at dealing with these types of situations. What you're meant to understand in the show is that Daphne Daphne needs to find a way to make sure all of this stuff works, right? That he is, in fact, lying to her. She also, because she's pissed off, wants a little bit of vengeance on the side, right? She wants to set herself up where, like, screw what he wants, I'm having kids. She would not be familiar with a term like sexual assault. That is not a term Daphne would be familiar with. Everyone in that society would not at all be familiar with the thought, just the thought, that a wife could sexually assault or rape a husband. They would laugh that. If you went and said that that happened, they would say that, no, it didn't. Like, what do you mean? Like, that is not a thing that was accepted or a social construct in that time. And you are meant to understand that because we see what she is doing as sexual assault and rape. She sees it as, like, just her way she sees it as like a petty little revenge. That's how she sees it. That's how she thinks about what she's doing. She's been betrayed. She's been wronged. So she's going to betray and wrong him. Like she's going to get a little bit of revenge while trying to figure out well what she needs to figure out. But I don't think she equates it on the same level that we do now. Now the show, again, makes a terrible choice in the music in in the episodes because it makes it hard to understand that. But I think that is important context when you break this scene down, that the character Daphne would not see it the same way we see it and would certainly not see it as much as a terrible thing to do as the way we know it is in 2021. I also want to bring up a lot of the things that I saw online about how if the Duke didn't want this, he could have pushed her off, he could have whatever, whatever. That's just all shit. Like, just, like, let's just be real with what happened. Like, Daphne sexually assaulted and or raped her husband, depending on how you want to define those two terms. And it does not matter. Like, 
he, we know he does not want this. In the scene, it is clear he does not want this. Now, again, because this happens in the Regency era, from a female to a male, right? Like, the idea of consent in this situation just isn't a thing, right? Just the concept of consent is not really a thing in the world of this show the same way it is in the future where we live. But it's just completely ridiculous to, I blame the Duke for the lead up to this situation. But I do not blame the Duke or think he deserved what happened to him. And that was a lot of the things that I saw in response. You know, you'd see an article that was like, Daphne sexually assaulted or raped her husband. And then a bunch of people in the comments would be like, oh, he could have pushed her off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of making excuses for it. I'm making excuses for Daphne up until the point she makes a bad choice. Because we all, like, she is set up for that. But the choice she makes is inexcusable, is reprehensible, and she needs to be held accountable for her actions here. And the Duke is not to blame for any of the things in this scene that other people online were saying that he could have pushed her off, he could have done this, whatever, whatever. He is not responsible for what happens in this scene. That is Daphne's fault and Daphne's fault alone. And so where does that leave us? Where does that leave us with this show? What happens from here? I have no idea what happens from here. Daphne has done something awful, terrible, reprehensible, insert whichever similar word you would like to put in there. The Duke is just ruined. He, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's very traumatized by this experience. He did not want or ask for this. And how do we move on from here? Because what we know about the show, just because it's set in the Regency era, is Daphne is going to face no consequences for her actions. The Duke will not tell anybody that this happened, for sure. If he did, I don't think anybody in the show would really care because everybody in the show like thinks having kids is the best thing ever and that's your whole purpose in life. Like They wouldn't side with him at all. And even the thought that Daphne could assault him is something that I think would just be almost laughed out of the conversation. And so we know Daphne is probably not going to face any consequences for her actions other than how the Duke decides to react to it. That will be her consequence. From the Duke's point of view, how do you now deal with this trauma? Because now you feel how Daphne feels. Now you feel betrayed. Now you feel like the person you trusted most um, violated you. And how do we work through that in a show where Daphne is not going to face punishment for her actions to the degree we think in 2021 that she should? And I don't know where this leads. I have no idea. I just want to bring those up. You need to think about this before you watch episode 7 because you need to set your expectations, right? If your expectations are that Daphne needs to pay for her actions, I'm going to guess that the next two episodes will be very disappointing and you'll leave the whole show feeling that this scene probably was the point where the show got ruined a bit for you. If you are totally easily able to separate what happens in the Regency era from what happens in the real world, and this is a TV show, and maybe they didn't execute it perfectly, but I understand what they were trying to do, 
and you're you're super willing to just see what happens and you don't have any hard feelings about how the characters react to this or you don't have you're just willing to let it you're just willing to let it happen you're willing to see where they take this there's a higher chance that the next two episodes will be a little bit easier for you but i just think it's important to think about these things and think about what your expectations are coming off of a scene like this cuz it'll shape how you view this scene when you when you look back on it after the show is done which we're definitely going to do right but it also affects how you perceive the character's actions moving forward as this scene is ending Daphne and the Duke I don't want to call it an argument because it's mostly Daphne just yelling at Simon and from both characters' points of view, Simon can't even participate in this argument right now. He is traumatized. He's been betrayed. Just the way the actor portrays it on the screen, I just felt your heart just breaks for Simon. Because you know how wrong and how traumatizing what Daphne just did must have been. And from Daphne's point of view... She doesn't view, and this is where it's important, she doesn't view what she just did as sexual assault or rape or of anything at the same serious level. She views it as like, a, hey, you betrayed me, you lied to me, I, I need to know that you've done those things, but I'm also, now you know what it feels like. She doesn't view it at the same level of assault and, and terrible action that we do, and it's, it's really important to separate that a little bit because what she's saying if she had not done this if she if she had not done what she did and she just started saying the things she says at the end you would agree with what Daphne has to say she says I may not know much as you have made abundantly clear that's just another way of saying what are the cost of lies he has made it abundantly clear that she does not know much or anything that she needs to know. And she is just, she's yelling at him and she's crying and she's emotional because she's also been betrayed. And it's unfortunate that she makes such a terrible choice because what she actually says makes a lot of sense for her character and are generally things that I agree with. And it's hard when you're watching a show like this to agree with what somebody is saying while they're doing one of the most reprehensible things you can do. And it's hard to be on board with that. One of the most evocative parts of all the things Daphne is, is yelling is that she felt pity for him. This is the deception. She thought that it was a physical impediment she felt pity for him that's heartbreaking and the duke knew that when he says i didn't ask for your pity true you knew what she thought and you knew how she felt right you could have addressed this the last time that she had brought something like this up the last time when she was with the kids and so the duke does not deserve what happens to him and if this had not have happened Watching this end bit, you would be like, yeah, Daphne's right, right? You have betrayed her. You, she does not know much, as he has made abundantly clear. And he, through his deception, right, made her feel pity for him. And he knew that. He knew that's how she felt. 
he knew that she thought it was a physical impediment and not just a he didn't want to have kids. He knew that, and he chose not to make that clarification, which sets Daphne up to be just a complete failure in this scene. I think I've broken this down enough. I honestly tried my best to break it down in a way that does justice to it, um, to the magnitude that it needs to be discussed, but also breaks it down. Like, this is a scene in a TV show we're breaking down, so I have to break it down just like other scenes. I want to say that I am open to anything the show wants to do for the resolution here. I'm going to go into episode 7 and episode 8 with an open mind. My thoughts on this scene will be almost entirely dependent on what happens in the next two episodes. So I don't want to have a hard take. What I will say is the Duke and Violet, in my own mind, bear almost all of the responsibility for setting up Daphne to fail here. And so what does she do? She fails. Now, Daphne's choice here is reprehensible. It's disgusting. It's one of the worst things you can do to a person. But she has failed. She has been set up to fail, and she has failed. Her actions and the responsibility for those actions are hers alone, and we need to hold her accountable as viewers to those actions the best way we can, considering that this show is set in the Regency era where she's probably not going to be held accountable. But we can't be disingenuous to how we got here, because we did not get here with Daphne just waking up one morning and going, yeah, I'm a, I'm going to assault my husband tonight. Like, that is not how this happened. This was a slow and careful piling on of lie after lie, after omission, after omission, after deception, after lack of clarification. And it was all built on top of each other like Chernobyl, and the whole infrastructure fell from underneath. And that is how we ended up here. And so I don't know if I want to talk any more about it, but I think that's going to do it for this scene. I will be revisiting this in a way where I don't need a trigger warning or anything just to update my thoughts on the scene um, in the season end review episodes for sure. Because how I really feel about this scene, I just need to see the resolution and I'm not sure we're going to get there um, in the next episode. We might have to wait till episode eight. And so I'll, I'll give my updated thoughts, um, about how I feel like they did this scene and how, whether I thought it should have been changed or should have been removed or anything like that in the season end review episode. Surprisingly, that's not the, the complete end of the episode. Whistledown comes in and she has a lot of, she's just throwing truth bombs around. She says about, she, she's talking about the fragility of the human heart and how the ones that love us have, or the ones that we love have a unique ability to hurt us. And that is so, that is so true, right? The people you love and trust the most wield an extraordinary amount of power when it comes to hurting you. The ones you love and trust the most have the most power and ability to hurt you. And she is right. And coming off of that scene where two people who I guess loved and trusted each other have both been betrayed by each other. It was really poignant that Lady Whistledown was, was, was having this speech. And I felt like not a character resolution, but as a resolution to this episode, the tone was definitely met with Lady Whistledown. This is still a quirky show. 
they didn't just pivot into a show that it wasn't. But within the bounds of what Bridgerton is, Lady Whistledown does a good job of emotionally resolving this episode for us, giving us the opportunity to wait until the next episode or two for the, the character resolution, how Daphne and Simon choose to resolve this. Because we're left on the cliffhanger of, is Daphne pregnant now? What happens if she is? These are all things we need to know before we can have that emotional resolution. But the Lady Whistledown speech here does a good job of at least meeting the moment and, and, and being poignant and, and relatable and, and going through how the characters at least feel about their actions and how they're feeling about each other. And I, I enjoyed how they wrote this Lady Whistledown blurb at the end. Penelope and um, Eloise meet up. Eloise is back on her swings where she's normally with Benedict. And Penelope comes by and she's just a mess Obviously, you can tell it's because of the whole Colin situation. And what's great about this scene is that these guys haven't spoken since the Penelope yelled at Eloise. So this is that resolution. We're finishing that arc a few episodes later. That in Penelope's biggest emotional moment of need, that she goes and finds Eloise after just yelling at her the last time they met and telling her that not everybody can be a pretty Bridgerton. And it's nice to have that resolution with Eloise here because we definitely need them, I think, to be close again going into episode seven and eight. I think the show needs all of the other characters to be closer together because we now have Colin and Marina being pulled apart and Daphne and Simon being pulled apart. And I think the rest of the characters need to come back together in order to allow us to to really emotionally invest in the characters being pulled apart. So I liked um, I liked how this moment was put in at the end here. So we know, hey, not everything is terrible for everyone in this show. These two are going to have a moment here where they're going to make up. This part of the episode, I have a huge problem with. There is a 0% chance that Penelope's not involved with Lady Whistledown. Zero. Absolutely zero. Who else, who else could have possibly gotten this information about Marina and Colin out suspiciously right before they're going to Gretna Green? Who else could have done that? It has to be Penelope. I don't think she is Lady Whistledown. I think she just knows what's up. She either knows who Lady Whistledown is or knows where to put... She has a unique way. Everyone else just has to gossip to everyone and hope Lady Whistledown hears it. I think she knows how... Like, if she is going to get info to Lady Whistledown, she needs it there tonight. She finds out that Gretna Green is happening tomorrow morning in the evening... And by tomorrow morning, out of all the days in the world for this Colin and Marina thing to come out, this is when it comes out. Penelope is definitely involved in some way. I don't think she is Lady Whistledown. I think she probably just has the drop on who to talk to if you want intel to get to Lady Whistledown. But the way this was edited was far too obvious, right? If if Penelope's not involved, I'll be upset with this editing because it just is very strange to me how they edited this episode if she's not involved right give me one faint it's fine but three faints like three red herrings in one episode is too much if you're just trying to lead me in the wrong direction so i'll either dislike the editing because it made it um or it it took me in the wrong direction too many times or i'll dislike the editing because it was too obvious 
you have to be very careful when you're crafting these scenes for a mystery like this. And I feel like now if it's either Penelope or not Penelope, I'm going to be upset with how this episode was edited in a fun way. Like, obviously, it's not going to ruin the show for me. But I, just, I could pick up on it. And when I can pick up on your editing and camera cuts three times in one episode, it's a little bit much. The show finally actually ends with Daphne in the fetal position in her bed. Now, we know that what she's done is terrible. But like I've said, she will not see it that way. She will see it as within the bounds of her time and within the bounds of her ability to make good choices, which was zero. She had no ability to make a good choice here. Now, she did need to make a terrible one like she did, but she was not set up to make a good choice. She, feeling betrayed, feeling just ruined and lied to like she's been trapped in this marriage now, think about the fetal position. How many times in your life have you been so upset and emotional and distraught that you just lied in the fetal position? That there was no other outlet for your emotions than that? It was very evocative. I felt terrible. And you're meant to feel terrible at the end of this episode, right? It's not a bad thing to feel that way. You should feel terrible at the end of this episode. But man, what a shot. The lighting, whoever was the cinematographer or the director of photography for this scene. I guess they do it for the whole episode, but specifically I noticed it in this scene just lights out 10 out of the 10 amazing because this scene just made me go, oh man, I feel I'm a mess right now. I'm just a conflicted, awful, emotional mess after watching that fetal position shot and it, it was very effective for what it was trying to do just brilliantly done by everyone involved in making that shot happen and it's it's overlaid with Lady Whistledown saying do the ends justify the means which I, I took it from the point of view from Chernobyl of what are the cost of lies but this is another way for you to frame this episode I'm not going to tell you whether the ends justify the means right but you need to think about all our characters here. For Marina, do the ends justify her means? For Daphne, do the ends justify the means? These are people who are doing things to deceive or trick or assault other people in their life. Is what they're trying to accomplish worth it in the end? Is what they accomplish worth the bad things they've done to get there? We have these things to think about at the end of the episode, and I like how that's how it ends, with a question. They're telling you, watch this and think. Watch this and be emotional and sit in the gray and think about it. Which of our characters made good choices? Which of our characters made bad choices? Which one's choices, which one's choices do justify the means and which, or which one's ends, which character's ends do justify the means and which ones don't? They want you to think about these things before you watch episode 7, and I love that, because I think you need to. I'm glad that I'm taking, I took a break between watching, so I watched episode 6, I'm recording this right now, and I'm not watching episode 7 till tomorrow. I've watched this one twice and then done, done a bunch of things uh, three or four or five times in the episode, so I'm just going to sit with this and think and prep for episode 7, and I love how they do that. Now, I think... The ends justifying the means. Some of our characters um, fit differently in that spectrum. Some of our characters' ends do justify the means. Some of them don't. I don't want to tell you how I feel about this. I've already talked for far too long. And you're meant to think about this for yourself. So that is going to do it for this episode of Let's Dive Deep. 
I hope you enjoyed this one. It'll certainly be the longest one of the run so far. Um, pending any other very traumatic things that happen, I reckon episode 7 and 8 will be a little bit shorter. If you did enjoy this episode, though, there's lots to talk about. And I'm not putting the other podcast out for a couple of days yet. And I re-record over parts of this that I want to um, do better at. Right? And so... If you want to reach out to me, um, let's dive deep pod at gmail.com or at let's dive deep. I can come back before I put the podcast out and input anything I would like to say. So I record these as I go. So by the time this comes out, I will have already watched and recorded the podcast for episode seven. But what you can do is you can email me or tweet me your thoughts on it. And if I think they're worth bringing up in this episode, I can re-edit, or I can re-edit the one for episode seven. Sorry, this one's obviously done because you're listening to it. But I can go back and I can re-record and re-edit. And nothing is finalized until you're listening to it. I I click render and then I upload it to the podcast feed. So up until it's in your feed, it is being edited. So as long as you catch me before the podcast is in your feed, there's a good chance I can include your feedback if I think it makes sense for for what I'm talking about in the episode. Otherwise, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you subscribe in whatever feeds you're subscribing in. Make sure you are leaving reviews anywhere you want to leave a review. I would really appreciate it. This was a fun episode of Let's Dive Deep. I will see you in just a couple days for episode 7 of Bridgerton. Thanks, everyone.